1979, the first issue of Fangoria was released into the world. It's been over 40 years, and they are better than ever. Each issue bringing you 100 pages of exclusive, carefully curated content honoring horrors past, present, and future. These articles and interviews will never be published online, so the only way to read them is by getting your hands on a physical, collectible copy of your own. We can't give anything away because we want the experience to be a surprise, but we can safely say that you do not want to miss a single page. Head over to Fangoria.com to learn more and to subscribe. And while you're there, make sure to enter the promo code KINGCAST. You're going to save 25% off your yearly subscription. Can't complain about that. Now, let's get on with that show. Wee, wee, wee. Hi. My name is Stephen King. He's gonna break! Bad love! Bad love! Hello and welcome back to the KingCast on the Fangoria Podcast Network. My name is Eric Vespi. And I'm Scott Wampler. And we are your hosts. I'm super excited for today's chat, folks. We're tackling a major King title with a very special guest. She's the super funny writer, comedian, author, and wildly successful podcast host. You'll know her from her work on The Ellen DeGeneres Show, The Rosie Show, The Pete Holmes Show, as well as her appearances on Mr. Show with Bob and David. That's a lot of shows, Karen. Uh, Today, she's best known for co-hosting My Favorite Murder, a podcast that was massively influential to the formation of the KingCast, by the way. Without any further ado, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Miss Karen Kilgariff to the KingCast stage. Welcome. Hello. Hello. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for naming all my shows. Uh, you you have a shows. ridiculous amount of shows in your, <laughs> in, in your uh, show roster. Title, I think I re- yeah, I've been really show centric. It's like I will not submit to work on a show that doesn't have show in the title. <laughs> the it's show important. show. It's really important mm-hmm. to me. What I think is really funny is that Rosie, that Rosie um, credit has gone all the way, has gotten through and people yeah. assume it's for her original talk show. And it was for, uh, it was not, it was for a talk show she did on own later that mm-hmm. basically almost didn't exist. So I get a lot of credit <laughs> where it, credit is not due on that one. Well, well where we'll, you deserve full credit is Mr. Show. Uh, I gotta say. Uh, I'm a I am a huge raving fan of Mr. Show. I think we've I think I've probably mentioned it on this before. So I don't have a question to start this off with. I just want to tell you uh, thank you for Mr. Show and everything that y'all did as a team. I think it's it was formative to me uh, in terms of, you know, comedy and, you know, becoming someone who does funny stuff for a living. Yeah, I mean, you're welcome. But I uh it has so little to do with me. I really lucked out. Like I moved to Los Angeles at the perfect time. And I fell in with this crowd of people that were some of the most amazing performers. It was really kind of a beautiful, fateful thing. Um, that And the fact that those guys asked me to come and be on that show was a huge honor, but like, yeah, I get a lot of credit. Again, I get a lot of credit and I didn't, I didn't do as much as most did on that show. Yeah, but you were a part of it. I was. 
Yeah. I was not a part of it. <laughs> and therefore, you know, you are better than me. That's hey, what I'm trying to tell you. That's all I'm looking for. I just needed to hear it. <laughs> what do you remember those tapings like? You know, what's the what's the predominant emotion that comes to mind? Were you I mean, you'd already been doing stand up at that time, so I don't imagine you were ter terribly nervous about them, but you were also filming a show for HBO. So I imagine that was a little nerve wracking. It was, but you know, what's interesting. So I can't, I was on, I believe it was like the second through fourth se seasons. The first season I was not on. So I remember I went to the first taping and it was like the, the sketches they did live were like the, all the um, founding fathers, that sketch. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, that's the one I remember the most. And that was like in this little club on, I think Las Palmas or like right in Hollywood, you know, like Hollywood and Vine basically in this tiny, dark little club. And most of the people in the audience were just friends and like the people that were in our friend group and then their friends essentially. And it mm -hmm. felt very small and it felt very much like our friends got a TV show, hopefully this all works out for them. Like it didn't feel, <laughs> it certainly didn't feel big. It didn't feel Hollywood. It didn't feel, um, you know, like we were in a huge studio or anything. I think we were in like a renovated, you know, like warehouse type theater. Mm -hmm. um, so it was, it was a fascinating thing. It was kind of like, Oh, I'm so excited for these guys, but it didn't, no one knew what it was going to be, you know, but once you saw those sketches, like especially that founding father sketch, you were just like, it was like, these guys are genius. There's just kind of no, and also the, the, the farmer's daughter milk. <laughs> yes. Thing, that whole, I mean, that all was like happening in front of us. So you just knew that it was really amazing comedy. You know, it was very, it was very, consistently hilarious, like to the point where you're kind of looking around, like, I feel almost sick. I'm laughing so hard. <laughs> um, but back then it also had that feeling of it was, it felt alt, you know, it was like yeah. not standard. Yeah. So the expectation was not a lot of people would see it or like it or understand it, I guess. Um, which is, I think one of the coolest things about it is the fact yeah. that it once it did kind of go wide or go out on DVD or just get distributed in a more meaningful way, like the generations of people who watch it and fall in love with it. It's just so cool. And it was a, it was a little alt, you know, it was borderline punkish. I grew up with watching two uh, sketch shows, um, uh, Mr. Show and kids in the hall. And I always kind Ugh. of, I always kind of considered uh, Mr. Show the American counterpart to the kids who were there, <laughs> who, you know, who were also inspired by or or who had originally been inspired by Monty Python and all that shit. So you could see sort of the chain of command through or not a not a chain of command, um, the timeline for, you know, how those things unfolded and the I chain mean, of title. Yes, that's what you're talking for. Very, <laughs> very good. The, the chain of show deed that was being yeah. <laughs> signed and signed again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and and I, I think that for especially, you know, like 80s kids like Eric and I, if you were a teenager in the 90s, there was nothing funnier in terms of sketch comedy than than Mr. Show. Um, well, those, I mean, they were. Here's the thing that I thought was really cool. The idea that they did those live 
elements of it, you know, that that was the the runner and the home base was that live show. Right. Right. Gave it that electricity where it's like these guys aren't just actors. They're not just reading scripts like they wrote it, but they're embodying it. And they can like that part of it was at all of their backgrounds, stand up comedy and sketch comedy and like, you know, being in the room with the people who are enjoying what you made immediately. And um, which Kids in the Hall, same. Uh, that was the thing I missed from this newest season of the Kids in the Hall, the reboot. I was like, God, they didn't do any of these live. It would have been right. so awesome to see these guys now that they're these seasoned performers to be in a room. But it was COVID, I think. Um, right. But yeah, so there was a real, um, I don't know, I, I guess that part of it where they were trying to, they were tr- trying to do the updated version of what does a sketch show look like? And it's like, it's, uh, it's about the audience. The audience is there and they're kind of featured as much as the mm-hmm. sketch that the performers themselves. I think that's really cool. And then you could like, there was, you see those old episodes were like blank patch. Uh, that's the one I always remember seeing is Blaine would Blaine would be at every live show and you can see him in the, in the sketches. Like when they cut to the audience, Blaine's Blaine's always in the audience. Yeah, and it's like funny. that. Cause he was one of our friends and he of course would be there to support and be a part of it. And yeah, it was cool. How have you felt about everything that's gone on with Bob since like better call Saul specifically? Is it surreal seeing him like doing that now versus what he was doing then? Or, you know, Um, I mean, he was always great. Don't get me wrong, but it is sort of a change of form for him. Yeah, it's a real heightening. Um, But Bob, the thing about Bob is from the beginning. What about Bob? What? (laughs) I'll tell you. Um, uh, God, I wish I knew that movie well enough to quote it. Um, baby steps. But, just say baby steps. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what was on the t-shirt that he had? Do you, does uh, anyone know offhand? That big t-shirt the, he bought. The, it? The, the, oh, that three sizes too big yes. white t-shirt with the And it was almost it. like, don't ask me or something yeah. stupid like that. Don't ask me. I'm on vacation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that might be it. Yeah. yeah. You can edit that part out too. Um, <laughs> But the thing about him was Bob was like, oh, and, you know, I was 24 uh, in in this. I could not have been more of a dumb baby. Yeah. Um, (laughs) He was like the dad. So Bob, like when Bob did a set of comedy, um, it was the funniest thing you'd ever seen every single time. And he it was him being very true to himself. But also he was a writer. He really worked at what he did. He didn't take. He didn't take any of it lightly. He didn't take anything lightly. He was always the guy like standing in the back of the room with his arms crossed, like thinking really hard. Whereas we were like, what corner of this, you know, bar restaurant can we get stoned in? Like, that's all. There's a lot of us who were just like, it's the greatest party of all time. Bob was fucking on point from the moment I met him. And he was kind of like the serious one. He would always leave early. He had, he always had scripts he was working on and stuff he was doing. Um, And I think when you watch those sketches, I mean, you guys know too, but it's like his range is unbelievable. Oh yeah, Um, It truly is. So it doesn't surprise me. It didn't surprise me that uh, his arc on Breaking Bad continued and that that character was so great you know, that he brought so much to it 
ultimately, like the level that he got to with Better Call Saul is definitely surprising and impressive, but it's not like shockingly surprising. It's like, yeah, this, this basically is a very logical next step for somebody that works this hard, takes it this seriously, and is this good of a performer? I mean, it just really yeah. is. I got I got an interesting uh, thing to add on to that uh, that kind of proves your point. Not that you need any any more justification from <laughs> you know just seeing his amazing uh, trajectory. But uh, I have a friend who was the manager of like a little mom and pop video store here in Austin in the '90s, and um, it was called Vulcan Video. It doesn't exist anymore because all video stores are gone the way of dinosaurs, even the cool ones. Um, but you know, this place kind of specialized and they had everything and they had out of print VHSs and like, and they were ahead of the curve on DVDs when DVDs were coming out. It was that kind of thing. And they got a call. He got a call like one night. Um, and the person was like, Hey, I'm representing, uh, Mr. Show. Like we've heard of your, like, have you heard of the show? And they said, yeah, of course. And he's like, well, we're putting out DVDs and we want to get a, a set of DVDs to, to, uh, you know, all these independent, you know, uh, retailers he goes okay great and it turns out the person he was dealing with directly was bob like <laughs> bob was the one making those calls like just yeah. pimping out the the stuff and like to the point where like i think there was even something he said that at some point it went out of print or something and then and he like just decided to call up the number again and like bob sent him like a personal like <laughs> one of his personal sets to re- replenish when it got yeah. stolen by a customer or something it was he was that like dedicated to getting his shit on the you know out there he was pounding the pavement Entirely. it was crazy well, and I would give David a lot of credit for that too, because that sounds very, da- David was the kind of guy that would go to Austin and come back to LA and be like, you guys, there's this amazing video store. Like he, David is such a culture maven and such yeah. an appreciator of where things actually come from and what thing, you know, he's, he is, um, a true original, I guess, in that way of like always appreciating, you know, people who support good shit and like where the good shit is going and who is valuing the good shit. And let's, uh, let's reward those people. Let's, Mm. you know, let's let them into our cast party at the end of the year. Like they both have an amazing understanding. And I think because like they both, you know, Bob worked on SNL, they both worked on the Ben Stiller show. Like they came through and then realized what they had as they had it. And of course it was the classic thing of like, did HBO realize it? Probably not, (laughs) but that didn't mean they didn't base what they thought of it on like on the wider success from what I observed. It was like, we know this fucking is amazing. And I mean, they had people like to watch Tom Kenny or Jill Mm -hmm. Talley do a sketch live, you know, something amazing is happening in front of you. It's, (laughs) it's a, it's more than just like, Oh, that was funny. Like there's an electric weirdness and like this, they were capturing, you know, they assembled this amazing team. John Ennis is one of the funniest human beings ever. You know what I mean? They just got this, they got this super team together and then kind of believed in themselves um, in that way that like, you know, I, I could see David having had that idea first and Bob being the one that was in charge of calling. Yes. He's the business dad. And <clears throat> I you know, and David's the rebellious son that's like, let's do acid. <laughs> I saw an old stand-up set of Bob's once. It was one of the where he did one of the funniest 
fucking bits I've ever seen where Can I guess? Yeah, sure. Was it the when he said the Indian song plays and then he says that's my favorite? I love this song. Nope. No, no, uh, no. It was okay. um he's on stage and he uh kind of finishes one bit and then pulled out a, a pack of gum from his pocket. And it's a uh, bazooka gum. And uh he takes a piece of it out as he's like talking to the audience and like looks at the rapper, and you know, for some of our younger uh listeners, bazooka bazooka gum had uh like comic strips yeah as the rapper on each individual piece so uh so he's like looking at the rapper and looking at the audience and he's like so uh the other day i was walking down the street and i saw my friend mort uh <laughs> crying <laughs> and uh he said hey uh i said what, what what's wrong he said last night i dreamed i was eating a, a giant marshmallow and, they, and he's like clearly reading the joke <laughs> off the fucking you know the, the, the gum wrapper yeah yeah and so then mort is of course like and, and then when i woke up in the morning my pillow was gone <laughs> and fucking but then he kept doing it until the whole pack of gum was in his mouth <laughs> And you couldn't understand a word he was fucking saying. Yeah. Oh, man. Just a brilliantly executed bit. Love well, and bit. also that that type of stand-up, which was one of his very early stand-up sets that was, like, yeah. televised, compared to, like, what I used to see him do at the Uncabaret or whatever, where he would be highly political. You know, he used to do that yeah. thing where he was Bob Dole and he would shove a pen in his hand and then just be like, I'm Bob Dole. And that became that <laughs> Senator character that he did. But that was, it was just a Bob Dole impression that he then like they dressed up like he, yeah, he's just a very Senator real. Tanker Bell. Yes. He's a Bob Dole based character, but like that's the range Bob has. He can be like an insane, insanely goofy and inventive Stand up. He can be a political stand up. I mean, they both are like that. David's like that too. The, oh, for the, sure. The the George W. Bush years were like some. It is rough. I mean, people kind of forget now because Trump has kind of taken the oxygen out of the room. But like the W. years were really fucking terrible. Yeah, and uh, and David's stand up was a huge like fight against the power thing for me. And, you know, this is like kind of like the rise of the daily show and all, all that stuff where they were good, like political, you know, comedy at that time. But like David's was angry in a way that nobody else mm -hmm. was. Yeah. And I remember, cause I grew up, I'm a huge George Carlin fan, like George Carlin's all timer for me. I interviewed him when I was 14 years old. It was my oh. first interview. <laughs> you know, it was, it was the thing that set me on my path. I owe him a lot, but like, I remember seeing Carlin again, in that time and being kind of disappointed that he he was doing mostly like 80 percent his old bits recycled when he was touring and and he just seemed to like not really address the bush stuff at all and you know when it, i felt like we needed it and so i got that from david cross and not the person i was expecting to get it from at that time right yeah shut up you fucking baby is one of the best comedy <laughs> albums period i've listened to that thing so many goddamn times did Holy he shit. i I can't remember if it made it onto that album or if it was later. He did a joke one time in the, in the like, I think it was mid 2000s when one of the big economic crashes where the story was that millionaires were killing themselves. Like they were, <laughs> you know, they were losing money and right. they were just offing themselves. Yeah. And David did a bit once and he goes, what is that? What? You're a millionaire. And then, 
he goes, and then he just kind of becomes this character. And then he just holds his hand up like he's holding a little thing. And he, he just goes, this isn't very good butter. It's <laughs> like his example of why a millionaire would care. I was just like, it's it, the moment I remember just standing on the side of the stage watching the, his set. And when he did that, I couldn't stop laughing. And then it was just this weird, like, almost like a gif. I mean, those guys are the most like memory gif people of mm-hmm. being hilarious. And in a moment, you know that they didn't write that on a piece of paper. You know what I mean? Right. They're riffing right. and they're like in it. And they believe it and they're that funny. Um, but yeah, that I, they're both just fucking geniuses and they're smart enough to know they were the kind of people that were smart enough to surround themselves with geniuses, not need to be the, you know, the like the highest goat on the mountain. They were like mm-hmm. all the we want all the best writers. We want all the smartest, best people with us. And, you know, they were just, yeah, they're just very smart men. And you were a part of that. So, and I got picked. I yeah. got to be the nurse sometimes, and, and sometimes you were great I got on the to show the drunk too. Lady. No, you were you were your your drunk lady was fantastic. <laughs> Thank you. Way. It was real. I was as true drunk <laughs> in real life. Well, and, let's uh, let's well, move on to the to the well, subject at hand, I, which is I, I want to put the brakes on that because uh, <laughs> we're twenty minutes in. I I know, but it's it's not my fault that we we've done twenty minutes on on Mister Show. Um, uh, I want to bring up before we get into the the stand stuff, um, just like I mentioned it briefly in the intro, but you know I'm not bullshitting when I say that my favorite murder was a huge influence on this show actually launching in the way that it did, and you know we've we've enjoyed success, not quite my favorite murder level success, but uh, I, I was somebody who avoided podcasts for a long time, and I think like a lot of people, serial is kind of what drew me in. Mm -hmm. Um, and that led me like weirdly, like roundly, almost directly to, uh, my favorite murder and just the concept. And I know I'm about to just describe what podcasts are, but the, but the, (laughs) the concept of two people that are friends that are sitting down and talking about a subject that they love, you know, and they're fascinated by, and they're intrigued by, and that energy kind of coming through, um, that's very much what the, you know, what made me feel like there was room for a show like ours. Yeah. Um, and so it was, you know, what you and Georgia do, uh, that kind of gave me the confidence that it was time to try to make, uh, n- not make our own version, but try to make, make a stab at, at, uh, at doing this show. So, uh, no bullshit. I wanted to, to let you know that, uh, you're very influential. Thank you. Yes. Oh, well, that means I'm a glad lot. we stuck around for for that. That was yeah, uh, that was too. indeed worth that sticking around for. Yes. Absolutely well, worth yes. it to me in my heart. Well, and also it means a lot because I like the idea that people would uh <laughs> that we would show people that you certainly don't have to know exactly what you're doing or be like word perfect or even <laughs> factually perfect um to be putting stuff out in the world cuz lots of other people aren't you know what I mean? Like all those right. reasons that people shut themselves down or say, oh, I, I certainly couldn't do this. It's like, of course you can and should, you know, so that that's totally. always exciting because I think some people, when they approach the thing they really have a passion about, that's when it gets really scary and vulnerable. It's yeah. very easy to convince yourself that you should not. So I like that. Yeah. You don't have to be an authority. Hell no. 
Yeah, you can just start talking into a microphone. Sometimes things happen as a result of it. It's cool. Exactly. Sometimes yeah. you sound smart. Sometimes you edit yourself to sound smart. <laughs> that's, that's how it works. It's all about the editing, for real. Uh, now we can go. Uh, I, I will. I will yes. uh, bug you with my own hometown uh, uh, story uh, at the end of the show, though. Just oh, great! Before. I'd love to early hear warning. It. Great. Very well. Um, this is a question we ask all of our guests, uh, Karen. Uh, what is your Stephen King origin story? I believe that it was the lake house that we used to rent in the summertime in a place called Blue Lake, California, which was in the Lake County, but one of the smaller, uh, less popular lakes. And we rented. <laughs> not <laughs> we rented, the bell of the bowl. No, certainly not the where the prom queen would go to canoe or whatever <laughs> um we would go there every year with the same um like two other families and the people who we rented this lake house from had a classic vacation home bookcase with every kind of like airport book um you know romance novel easy reading book or whatever and i had already uh begun to seek out in my grammar school, they, for some reason, it was a Catholic grammar school, but they had a hard bound copy of the Amityville Horror, which I found. And I was just, I checked it out like three different times. Um, so I already had my eye out toward like, ooh, scare, kind of scary or weird or, you know, just not, um, I don't know, typically maybe quote unquote girly stuff classically that, um, and so I found Firestarter in this uh, bookcase. And I think it was one of the only Stephen King books they had that year. And um, so I started reading it. And of course, because it's Stephen King's writing, it was like I opened a TV show and was looking at a TV show on the paper. I mean, I'd never, I'd never read so easily. And I don't, I don't think I have any kind of like a reading, like a learning disability or disorder or anything except for that when I go to start reading a book, like the getting started part is always really hard for me. I have to read the same sentence over and over. Like I kind of can't concentrate at the beginning. I almost have to like go into a reading brain mode. Mm -hmm. Not so with Stephen King books ever. It truly is. I open the first page and it's going and it's like, there's no effort. And I loved that so much on top of the fact that I believe if I'm not mistaken firestarter starts with like they're on the run and people are right behind them yeah like it starts in action and so that was really thrilling and i just basically read this book all day and then that night <laughs> um it was a we slept on a screened in porch that was right next to the lake and so all night i had nightmares that i was being chased by like kind of shadow government men <laughs> and i and in the dream it was kind of like a waking dream where i thought they were coming up the steps from down by the lake up to the house and it was so real like I woke up sweating and it was like so scary. And what I realized was the sound of the footsteps was just the lake lapping against the, against the dock. And I had this entire experience where then I was just like, I'd never had an experience like that where this book got into my brain and into like my reality. And it was like, right. holy shit. So then I couldn't stop reading it. Um, and that was the kickoff. And then it was just like, I knew 
if I ever had a vacation or, you know, time to kill or whatever, that's what I wanted to go back to was that kind of reading experience. Have you seen either of the adaptations? No. Of Firestarter, no. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead and leave it that way. That's okay. Okay. (laughs) I'm a big Drew Barrymore fan. I support her throughout every age, every acting Uh choice. I love the idea of like a little girl that can light people on fire. And my dad had a thing. I don't think I realized it until later, but my dad would read every book he saw we were reading. He would like, so, so he used to say like, if he was yelling at me and I would just stare back at him, he'd go, don't give me those fire starter eyes and then walk out. Of the <laughs> so, um, it was a, it, yeah, it was like, I, I think I was too young when the movie first came out or like couldn't go by myself. And then it was like, oh yeah, that wasn't. Then I started to learn the lesson of Stephen King movies versus Stephen King books. <laughs> mm. What are you, what are some of your preferred Stephen King movies? Movies. Well, I mean, I think I'm one of the few people that really loved it, even though it's fucked up and like one the of the book? worst endings. The oh. movie. Oh, the the new one or the miniseries? The um the new one. Yes. 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 Oh, the, I think a lot of people love that. It made like what, like combined, it was over a billion dollars worldwide, those two, oh, did, right? Oh yeah. It did really well. Congratulations, everybody. <laughs> but realize. people aren't so hot on the second chapter, which I also agree with. Um not not great. But the first no. one is I, I think amazing. Yes. Mm. Just the idea, like, I think he has that amazing ability to be like, okay, here's what you're really scared of. You're mm-hmm. a clown in the sewer where you're like, no, I'm not. Oh my God, I'm dying. This is the, I can't watch this. <laughs> this is horrifying. <laughs> like right. it's that thing. That was the first thing that popped in my head. I did like misery. It's almost like the, the more cinematically well executed his stories are, I think the less I have, I almost, I'm like, I don't have to worry about you, Misery. You go do your thing. You know what I mean? Like, I, there's something right. protective or like, I'm like, no, it is good. <laughs> it, I don't care that it's a big alien spider in the sewer. It's, it, it makes sense if you read the book. Like, I yeah. always had that kind of feeling about it. I'm scanning my brain for the other choices. I mean, there's, Pet you know. Pet Cemetery, Shining, ugh. Stand By well, Me. Well, The Shining, The Shining, of course, I love it and adore it. I don't, but I have to admit, I don't think I've ever read The Shining. No, I've that's only seen it. Two very different experiences, too. Yeah, for so real. If you ever get a wild hair to to do it, it's a it's a really fascinating counterpart. I think that they both support each other, the movie and the book, in in odd ways, in unexpected ways. Uh, mm-hmm. But they're both very different experiences. Yeah. Well, and that the movie experience, you, uh, it's so its own thing. It always felt to me. It was nothing like any Stephen King movie production where it was just like, holy shit, this thing right. is like big. And of course, Kubrick, the the vision and the artistry and they were doing all these things and it's a maze and you're never, you're turning every corner. Now you don't know where you are and all that kind of stuff that, um, yeah, it, it almost felt like a separate thing. Wait, what was the other one you named? Stand by Me, Pet Cemetery. Oh, Pet Cemetery. Okay, Stand by Me. Yes, love it. Like it just doesn't feel. It it feels like he was he went on vacation, or is that when he stopped drinking or whatever? Like there's, Stand by Me is just such a 
gear change to me mm-hmm. and I loved it, but it was like, well, this is a totally different thing. And yeah, uh, that's another, it it's, that's another family joke of, um, Anytime anyone has to eat fast, my dad starts chanting lardas. <laughs> <laughs> boom, <laughs> baba, boom, baba. Yeah. Um, uh, he just thinks, I mean, that's, yeah, that's classic. But I can still remember being in the theater watching the first Pet Cemetery, and there was several deeply traumatic moments in that movie. <laughs> Zelda, I, I'm assuming, is no, yes. number one with the bullet. Yeah. Yes. Number one with the bullet in, entirely. And the, like, everything about that where I was, like, it was almost like it went into my mouth and down into my, like, guts. It was so upsettingly, like, I didn't agree to this. Um, and you did it anyway. And You're canceled, Pet Cemetery. Yeah. How about consent? Um <laughs> And then when Ga- Gage, right, the little boy was named Gage. Yep. Mm-hmm. And when he gets, spoiler alert, <laughs> he gets hit by that fucking truck. I was just like, wait. Sorry. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. sorry. That's a running joke. Yeah. Uh, every <laughs> time someone mentions Gage being hit by the truck, we play that <laughs> noise. <laughs> it's been a while since I've gotten a chance to use it. I got so excited when you were on this track, <laughs> this track, and yeah, I had my I finger hovering over too. the over the ballpark. <laughs> that is. Fucking hilarious. Wait, is it because people talk about how upsetting it is? It's just a funny thing to do when a kid gets hit by a truck, I think. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, yes, we it, all- is. <laughs> <laughs> it puts a smile on your face, and we haven't done it in a while, so apologies for, the edge for the going memory. very uh, morning radio with you there. Love yeah. it. No, I don't mind at all, but I think this is highly appropriate. Um <laughs> We've got a T-shirt, actually, that we sell that is just a picture of the truck bearing down on him, and it says charge at the bottom. And uh, you might not be surprised to learn that it is not a top seller in the store. It is my favorite piece of merch that we have, though, by a yes. country mile. It's the only deeply, one I wear regularly. Yeah, deeply fucked up. I love I love that. Because I yeah. it really was that kind of like, uh, yeah, I just didn't. And that was, I think that was before they made like those super cut trailers where like they show you every single moment before you get to the theater. There right. were some true surprises because I had read that book and my obsession was that idea that you would walk through a forest and get up to this bizarre place where you can, you know, it, whether it's manifestation or incantation or whatever, but you're like raising the dead or doing whatever yeah. in that cemetery. That idea I was kind of like I was I was there for the actual pet cemetery part and so those other parts I was just like what the fuck this is horrifying <laughs> There's a Wendigo now yeah. Well we've we've established your your king bona fides I think um and and God, I hope so. what what better <laughs> indication of that than the title that you brought us today which is the stand <laughs> um the 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 big phone book uh sized classic at the you know that's in my opinion it'll be the the one that king is most remembered for after he passes on but um because you know this is a there is so much to talk about with the stand you might be surprised to learn that only uh one other guest has ever picked it really yeah and it was somebody that was involved in the production of the new one um Yeah, I think we got through about uh, a fraction of what we you'd need to say to entirely cover the stand. But uh, most people avoid it because of the, uh, you know, the overwhelming size of it and uh, what a chore that might be to to reread. Uh, When was the last time you actually sat down and read it? 
Well, you know, what's funny is I bought it two weeks ago to reread it for this podcast and right. I have not cracked it. Not, <laughs> I barely looked at it. it. It became a thing that was sitting on my nightstand where I was like, are you going to read it now? Or now you have five days. Now you have three days. <laughs> and, like, and then I just was looking at it where I'm just like, yeah, I just, I, I feel like the first time I read this book, and this is not to say that like I can do any pull quotes or anything like that, but when I first read this book, I the whole time was just like, no fucking way. It was so real to mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. And the people were real and the way everything was playing out was so real that it kind of like really stamped itself into my brain of like, this is exactly how it's it almost felt like he was predicting the future, which he right. kind yeah. of was a little bit. It seems a little like. bit, yeah. just a just a touch. Where we don't know the source of any of this <laughs> pandemic. Truly, right. we it could absolutely. It was Randall Flag all the time. We he's behind COVID. <laughs> we knew it. Uh, we cannot conclusively say that Stephen King himself did not create the virus in order to yes. boost sales for the stand. Right, just to I, get that retro, yeah, to get yeah, some of those royalties going boost. again. Eh, he needs the money, you know, he, I get it. But you, you touch on something really interesting there, and that's something that I always feel like with King at his best, when he, especially when he's writing these long-ass fucking books, like It or The Stand, you just live in them when you're reading them. In a way, yeah. I've never been as involved as a reader as I am in The Stand or It. Like one of these just long... Mm -hmm. King firing on all cylinders. I love all the characters. I recognize all the characters. They feel authentic to me. Yep. I put myself in there with them. It's it's my own never ending story reading yeah. the stand. And, <laughs> and, uh, well, and, I was and just talking to my friend about it where because we had uh, watched the new series kind of together while we were texting um, and talking about different parts of it and like what, of course, you complaints are always first. So it's like, I wish this had been this, or I wish mm -hmm. this had been whatever. And what we, what I said to him was like, it feels to me like there are so many choices of archetypal personalities in this book that you find yourself because it's like, here's your eight to 12 main characters. Who are you? And it's, so it's like, am I Nadine? Where it's like, it seems like I'm one way at the beginning, but I actually am the devil's girlfriend or like all these kind of, as you go, these choices are like, I'm Harold Lauder, where it's like, I'm this pained nerd that somehow like takes, it takes the end of the world where it's like, now I'm going to fucking get it together and I'm going to make you pay. Like yeah. I, the people that I, or, you know, of course, Larry, who. I love, it feels to me like that book in the stand, Stephen King kind of comes out as I wish I had been uh, like a singer songwriter. Like, yeah. It feels like he, to me, it feels like Larry is one of the biggest driving uh, forces in that story in terms of somebody getting through this insane like world change. Totally. And singing that yeah. song the whole time. <laughs> baby can you dig your man which then the reader writes their own baby can you dig your man song in their head right. and that's what comes up every time you see that indented italicized lyric list coming <laughs> i mean yeah i wonder if the version that they came up with for the mick garris series was like something we went to stephen king about and we're like 
can you hum a few bars from this? Like, how does it go? <laughs> or the if melody they just of this? invented it from whole cloth, because that's how I hear it now in my head. Still, yeah. they updated right. it on the new version, but you know, whatever. Um, but that that version from the miniseries is the one I always always think of. Yeah, I felt like the new version guy. I liked the. Um, I like the concept of like who he was supposed to be, but mm-hmm. to me, Larry Underwood, it's like, where's the duffel bag of Coke? Like where, right. and maybe it was there, but they just didn't feature it in the way that like, I want, that was front and center for me as like a, whatever I was 16 year old reading that book. I was just like, can you imagine just having a big fucking bag of Coke? And then like, <laughs> you're just trying to get through this fucking tunnel and, or what, you know, <laughs> whatever it was like, I loved his journey uh in that way where just like oh i was an artist i was making it then i was getting uh you know cynical about making it and now fucking everything's over now what am i gonna do it's amazing that stephen king can write these people so they're real people to me is is larry your favorite character then do you think i think i think so maybe only because the of duffel the bag things, full of Coke. <laughs> I, love, I love Coke and I always mm. have. Um, no, I think because what he goes through, first of all, I love the idea of you have to get out of New York when mm-hmm. there's just like, it's like gridlock of corpses and you and figure it out and, and roving packs of, we don't know enemies mm-hmm. probably that idea is so scary and so amazing and so perfectly written out like just so perfectly and then what i was disappointed by in the newest is like you the scene where you go through the fucking i believe holland tunnel in the dark surrounded by bodies mm-hmm. try, just trying to get through is the way he wrote that is s- such an unbelievable chunk of time that you actually live through Mm-hmm. Where you're just like, you're feeling your way through the whole tunnel. It's hor- It's so horrifying. Mm-hmm. And I think they couldn't, because it was like mostly pitch black or whatever, like they couldn't, felt that they couldn't recreate it. So they kind of put him, they put them in water and they were, mm-hmm. there was like a bunch of other things that they had to do. But it's just like, no, you, all you had to do was have them walk through the whole tunnel. That's scary. That's plenty scary as it is. Yeah, it's a weird creative choice. One of many weird creative choices in that show. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like when it, it first started, the first few episodes, I was kind of intrigued by the, you know, remixing of the the chronology of the narrative. You know, yeah. it, was, it was being told out of order. And I foolishly thought that, well, maybe this is building up to some sort of reveal. You yeah. know, maybe there's there's a point being made by and I was and I was I was willing to give it the benefit of the doubt. But by the time it was over, I was like, oh, you didn't have you're a, you know, a trickless magician. This wasn't this wasn't combining into anything. This was just right. a stylistic choice. And I think in retrospect now that that's like very represent representative of that adaptation as a whole. <laughs> and what went wrong with it. Yeah, because I mean, I, I get the instinct because if you're going to redo the stand, you know, especially as a mini series, you got to set yourself apart and not just copy, you know, the play by play that uh, went before because Mick Garris's version is very true to the the book, at least as true as you can be on network television in the nineties. Mm-hmm. 
But to me, it's enough to be able to say, hey, we can go, we can show the bag full of cocaine. We can show how just terrible uh, Captain Trips is. I almost called him Mr. Trips. <laughs> Mr. Trips? See how, how, <laughs> you can see how terrible Mr. Trips is to the body. No, um, you can see Goodbye, that effect. Goodbye, Mr. Trips. And you, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, that to me is enough that would set it apart. And, you know, you can recast it, you know, and not saying that the, the original cast is bad. There's some really great actors in there but like there's room for that but i think that like i i get why they would want to say okay we have to set ourselves apart but what they sacrifice in doing that is that feeling of living in the world that i described that you get from reading the book and at least for me and you know my view of a good adaptation is anything that evokes the same feeling in me watching it as i get reading it it doesn't have to be one-to-one to it the new it is a perfect example. It's not a one-to-one, you know, they change the timeline, they change a bunch of stuff in, in the Andy Muschietti it, but I get the same feeling watching that movie as I do reading that book, you know? So that is, that to me means it's a good adaptation. And I feel the same way about uh, the Kubrick movie, completely different uh, version of the shining, but it evokes the same sense of like slow building dread that I get reading that Mm -hmm. book. So yeah, like I'll always view that as my personal barometer of a good adaptation or not. And in that way, the new uh, stand just kind of failed because, you know, they made that stylistic choice to differentiate themselves from the, what had come before. And what we got was, you know, something that like totally erased that, you know, lived in feel of, uh, of the book. Well, and I feel like this thing they skipped and I actually can't remember in the first version Um, how much they spent time in this in that way. But to me, if you're going to tell the story of this essential, like what turns into a global pandemic, or at least national is what we know, um, the idea of people slowly dying around you has to take place on the screen. Like that, um, the, you know, the beginning of the cough or what, you know, so you're tracking it and that's how, I, I felt it was happening in the book where, um, you know, at the, at the first gas station scene where it's just kind of like the tracking right. part begins with like, oh my God, what, why are you so sick? What is, what is this? You go right up to the person. Hey, are you okay? And you're inhaling all of that disease. And then, and then you're bringing it to these five people who bring it home to 15 people and that you got that building sense. And then the kind of like, why i don't know it it felt like he did such a good job at kind of being like and now franny's the last man standing oh no harold's still there now larry's the last man standing oh the weird rich lady is there whatever and these people kind of keep becoming like why am i not dead every my entire family or everyone i know died like that it felt like they kind of were like let's skip that part and let's all just take a road trip to Colorado where it's like, <laughs> no, this is the, well, and I you mean, blink and they're there. Right. Yeah. There's, yeah. there's no journey. Yeah. Yeah. Which I know it's like, it's difficult. It's like there, I can see the producer side of me is just like, right. You don't want to hire 1500 extras to get made up as corpses or <laughs> what, you know, whatever that like produce, like the production nightmare of actually trying to put this story on screen visually. But then, yeah, there's just some parts that got skipped that I was like, oh, that's for me, that was such a big deal. Yeah, that's the good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, Karen, do you have any 
post-apocalyptic fantasies that you ever play out because that's something that i think the book does really well yes. that like just you immediately picture the world where 99 percent of humanity is gone right and then uh, on one side you go home you know you're you quasi mourning like if you were in the situation because you know your friends and family wouldn't if you were the one you know you would be the only one you knew right and you'd be mourning that but at the same time it's kind of exciting to be like the world's my my uh, playpen now i can go do whatever the fuck i want you know like how do i survive this and and at least for me i start like planning like building in my head like what would i do where where would i go would i go i'd go to home depot and i'd get generators and i'd siphon gas you know and i start like building up this weird thing and i don't know if that makes me a weirdo uh i'm i'm or not but that's <laughs> kind, kind of what uh this book does for me it's like sparks my imagination in that way yes no no i don't think that makes you a weirdo i think that's the kind of the the scary game of it it's very similar to people who like to read about true crime because it's like mm-hmm. i i need to entertain this and and then see how like so i'm ready almost mm-hmm. um i think my fantasy would be, I would figure out how to get really good at riding motorcycles. Like I'd never, (laughs) that book made me realize it's important to know how to ride a motorcycle because (laughs) that's the vehicle you want to be on to get away from either individuals or cars or whatever. Like that's the most uh, flexible and the most escape worthy uh, vehicle you want to be on. That's a post-apocalyptic vehicle, I think. Oh, for sure. Right. On road, on road, roller skates, or a Segway, <laughs> or roller yeah. skates. Yeah. Just go super old school roller skates, <laughs> With hauling the just trucking ass down the fucking down Broadway. Yeah, not even rollerblades. We're talking like Roller Girl from Boogie Nights. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. With They're the white. stopper up front. Yeah, safety first. Red know. wheels. Yes, <laughs> and uh, elbow pads because you don't want to hurt your your arms if you go down. And you don't take them off when you're going through the Holland Tunnel. I keep saying the Holland Tunnel, but it may have been a different tunnel. But uh, I like the idea of trying to like clomp through there, through the bodies and getting getting by things. But you have old fashioned roller skates on. <laughs> and you're like roller. walking on your tiptoes because yeah. you don't want to. <laughs> you Slipping and face planting off. into a decaying corpse. <laughs> Whoopsie daisy. Oops. Well, 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 look at what time it is. It's time for the mid-roll ad read. Once again, brought to you by our sponsors at Lumi Labs, and they want us to talk about microdosing. Yes, yes, yes. Again, this is like the perfect marriage here because Scott knows everything about Los Drogos. And uh, well, uh, you know, I'm a I'm, I, I am a professional in that regard, but I have become the best sort of professional about the Lumi Labs gummies. I am highly passionate about these things, and I swear to God, I'm not just saying it because uh, they sent us a bunch of free samples or uh, because I think our audience is stoners or anything like that. Mm-hmm. It's a legitimately great product. Yes. Yeah, this is uh, something that you and I both have been sent. And matter of fact, our supplies are running low. So Lumi Labs, if you should deem us worthy, we could definitely use some more. If they don't, then they give us a nice little 30% off promo code at the end and we can just save that and buy our own damn stuff. That's true. So That's true. And I'll do it too. <laughs> don't as soon as those run out, I'm doing it. <laughs> like it's, you're not above using they, your own uh, uh, podcast money. promo yeah. ad to save a, an extra 30% off of your order. No, of course not. <laughs> so you've probably heard this spiel before, but I'm going to run through it again 
Uh, Lumi Labs, they have a line of THC gummies built specifically for microdosing, which essentially means you're not just walking around high off your ass all day. You're, you're just walking around feeling nice and loose, relaxed. I, t- I typically use these uh, to help me get to sleep. Like the, They work better for me than melatonin does. Yeah, like one gummy will set you straight. It'll it'll take the edge off of a shitty day. Um, it'll chill you out. It's great for like watching TV on. Uh, not so strong that you couldn't like read a book while you're in that state. It's just it's just a very chill feeling. And if you want to, you know, kick it up a notch, maybe you take two. I don't know. You know, the world is your oyster, baby. Indeed, you can do whatever you want. But but at that point, you will definitely uh, be feeling it. And you know, some of those things might become a little bit harder to do. But, you know, you're going to have to figure out what dosage worked for you. Yeah. Um, some nights I take one. Some nights I take two. Depends on what kind of day I had. Yeah. Some nights you take a handful. You never know. Uh, I mean, I need a whole jug of them. <laughs> you don't know. <laughs> That's why you're running low. Um, yeah, yeah. So these Lumis, they're they're aimed at helping you relax, and it definitely works. And the best part is that Lumis THC gummies are available nationwide and aren't affected by your state's marijuana laws because they use a synthetic THC strain. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com. And if you like what you see, you can use the code KINGCAST to save 30% off your first order and get free shipping. So try to beat beat out Scott for his his next order. I dare you. Again, that's microdose.com, code KINGCAST. All right. I think it's about time to get back to the show. Yeah, let's do it. We're kind of dancing around. Uh, a, a conversation that I know we've had on this show before about post-apocalyptic fantasies. A question that recently came up in regards to this, and I, that I'll put to you, Karen, was if something like this happened, would you rather die within the first wave or would you rather remain alive, witness all that horror and then have to rebuild? Um, I have an answer. And I think about this a lot because uh if it were an alien invasion that was creating the post-apocalyptic kind of like, you know, world changer, uh-huh. I want to be dead. Uh, aliens are, um, and which is kind of funny, so many Stephen King books end up and it's like, you thought it was a ghost or a murderous clown. It turns out it's an alien spider mother or whatever. <laughs> it's always a yes. spider. <laughs> but I just don't, it's too like, too many variables. I can't handle it. Whereas if it were this where, because I think a part of the cool uh, fantasy aspect of the stand is not only there's something in you that makes you immune and makes you survive, but also you're dreaming of this old black woman who's telling you to come find her. So Uh there's a very, uh, you know, maybe spiritual aspect to it or a maybe like fateful kind of, you know, you're the chosen idea, which really appeals to my narcissism. So I like that. (laughs) Um, So if it were Captain Trips, I would want to stay. I would want to be a survivor. I would want to make it. I can't say that I am the kind of person that would automatically go to Boulder instead of Vegas. Like I'm, (laughs) I might be just fucked up enough to be like, I don't know. I think if it's all over, let's just go to Vegas and be super gross. 
and like <laughs> it would be more. <laughs> it would be funny if you got picked by neither, like on like like getting picked <laughs> for a softball team in gym, and it's like the devil and the god figure are both just like ah, just stay over there. You're all yeah. right. We'll work this out. You just you just kind of keep doing what you're doing. You said you're you're kind of you get picked by the trash can man where you're like, no, I don't <laughs> like this one. This isn't my pick. Yeah, you don't want to get know. mixed up with that gentleman. No. He's always up to some sort of sort of horsing around or, or or hijinks. Which is also like in that book, that character and his whole thing, like what a genius. Right. You know, it's like he, it's he is like a composer and it's a it's this amazing symphony of different levels. And that one is just like pure, pure mania and like just the the craziest version of a human dealing with this insanity. Just amazing. Yeah, I don't want to. But I don't want to be. It smells <laughs> too much like gas. It's, it's no. all hot. Yeah, all and, and he's also a psychopath. You know, you don't want to spend a lot of time in a car with with that. No, no he's no. not a good listener. He's no. not. No, he's not a good good chit chatter. He's not no. going to be attendant to your needs as a friend. No, I don't. But think. he is very loyal. Well, I'll give him that. That's true. <laughs> That's true. Almost to a fault. Yeah. I do want to loop back around to that alien business a, a few minutes ago, though, right quick, because I got I think I disagree with you on this. Like. I would like to live long enough during an invasion and apocalypse scenario to at least see some cool ships, maybe a death ray or two. Uh, I don't know that I'd, I think I would be just scared shitless if I saw an actual alien, even if it was like, you know, relatively friendly looking. I think the alienness of it would um, just melt my brain. But I would, I I think I'd like to see a smidge of that before I I wrap up. But I do not want to be taken on any motherships. Or you know, enslaved or any of that sort of business. Right. No, no uploading viruses to save mankind. No, that sounds your, like a lot of future. work too. I don't right. need to. You know, I'm not going to be very ambitious during a, an alien apocalypse. <laughs> Do you think you could survive a zombie apocalypse? Who are you asking? Either or. Every you're asking America, the world. Yes. Yeah. Karen, go ahead. I okay. I grew up in the country side. Um, outside of a city, kind of, you know, latchkey, but like, you know, also out in a field a lot of the time, just making my own way. So I do think in terms of standard survival, I have it in me. It's great that they're slow because I'm not a fast runner, nor would I work on it. Um, (laughs) and you already got the motorcycle hack, you know, I got my motorcycle shit down. Also in that scenario, if if, like we could still have horses, right. Cause it's just zombies. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, Oh, zombie horses. Have (laughs) they ever done that? I think that might've been in one of the later Romero movies, the, the not so great ones that he, he was pumping out every couple of years. Oh, a zombie horse would be such a dick. I mean, just. (laughs) Very difficult, but also slow. <laughs> you could see it coming and you just be like, what's wrong with this horse? It would trick <laughs> you, you to come close. It, you couldn't outrun it, though. Like, you know, if that horse gets it in its head that it's going to bite you, oh, it's going to get you, dude. I mean, I, I guess you can go in a house, though. You go in a house. You could also just keep turning in circles, like real sharp circles. <laughs> That's right? how you die in a zombie apocalypse, just from <laughs> Sheer exhaustion from running donuts <laughs> around a zombie horse. A slow, bitey zombie horse with weird yeah. eyes. He yeah, probably threw some kicks in there too. Yeah. 
you know what you need to do and nobody's ever done this in a zombie movie and it it really upsets me and maybe somebody hasn't i just haven't seen this one but we have the technology we have those like people that go diving with sharks that wear the the those like chainmail things right just just wear a suit of that and go out do your grocery shopping no zombie can bite you just use one of those well it's just not mm. very fashionable is the thing that's true it's well so you can happy. paint it whatever you want mm, that's true <laughs> put a bunch of like Gucci's Gucci logos on the front of it. There would be a lot of dudes dressed up like Zodiac at Lake Berryessa after <laughs> a zombie apocalypse. Yes. That's what they're all going to look like with like with Punisher symbols on them and shit. You're right. Truly one of the scariest scenes from fucking Zodiac is then oh, the, fuck the yeah, couple is, just dude. chatting and then what's that over there? <laughs> that is the, that is the best reveal i'm just like why is there a guy with a bag and a uh-oh <laughs> this isn't gonna turn out well is it yeah. also one of the best stabbing scenes in a horror Ugh. movie i think it's just brutal that whole thing that, yeah yeah you'll, you'll appreciate this uh karen one of the first times that uh, scott and i like super really hang out together or hung out together we were on a junket to uh san francisco and uh, for Rogue One. And so we went out to Skywalker Ranch and all that stuff. But we got in oh, yeah. super early. And we were like, well, let's Google where all the Zodiac shit happened. And uh, and it turned out like all like it was all within like a mile of our hotel. Like all yeah. the stuff within town, uh, within San Francisco. So like we made the trek and we like walked down to the the corner where he shot the cabbie or whatever. And, yep. and all this stuff. And uh, uh, as we mentioned, we are, we are a little uh, uh, rotund gentlemen over here and uh thick. san francisco thick. has a lot of hills i don't know if you're aware of that yes but, i uh, am yeah. that, that mm-hmm. mile was uh <laughs> way more uh, treacherous than uh, uh us fatties uh anticipated. i want to i want to point out that i made that hike in dress shoes because i was wearing what i wore on the fucking plane uh-huh. <laughs> no problem we almost killed someone else in the group but uh we certainly were not prepared for that love the the topography there very surprising it's uh, insane even. yes it's insane when i worked there um i'm sorry when i lived there uh <laughs> i also i had two jobs and one was in uh basically upper market castro and the other one was in the marina so mm. i was often taking the bus across town but then like missing the bus and walking to get it or whatever and it's it's a it's a true nightmare if you want to arrive somewhere looking slightly appealing, like you're <laughs> fucked. Like if oh, you're walking man. to meet friends and you got ready at work and then you're just heading straight up like a 50 degree hill, it's, it's bullshit. It's total bullshit. But I like the idea, um, Scott, was that you that said it where you're wearing dress shoes on a plane? Like my mother would be so thrilled to yeah. hear that people are still getting dressed up. To fly on planes. Oh, it wasn't that. I was just wearing a nice outfit that I didn't want to get wrinkled by stuffing it in my bag, which is how I pack bags. Oh. It's just cramming <laughs> everything in there until, you know, the it, to the point where the suitcase can just shut and then I'm done. But I also like tend to bring like a nice outfit or two. So I wear the nicest one on the plane. Nice. That's and I think really it's smart. also worth mentioning that like, we weren't sure what our itinerary was. So it's possible you in your mind too. I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt here that you were also like, maybe we're going to be going to like a fancy bar. We're going to be going to this thing. And you wanted to, well, I wanted to wear the interviews, you know, but it was really funny. We made all that hike and, uh, you know, as you mentioned, we're all disheveled and sweaty and breathing heavy. And we get to 
just what's a, a, essentially just a fucking corner on the street that you know <laughs> that has there's no like marker there's no, no zodiac gift shop it's just like yep and here's a corner where where uh where a cabbie got shot in the head yeah where probably the people that actually live there now who are million multi-millionaires if not billionaires want no one to come and stand <laughs> right. around and look so they probably have changed it you know what I mean? Like there, it's right. probably lightly unwelcoming. If, <laughs> yeah. if anyone in the neighborhood, like housing association has anything to say about it. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. This, have you guys seen the video of the lady who lives in the Walter White house from breaking bad? <laughs> no, but I imagine no. she is tired of that. Oh, shit. she is just like, she's like an old lady. She's like late sixties, easy. And she is just screaming at somebody who's walking by and videoing like on the other side of the street, just like screaming uh. for them to go away. And it's just like, well, and he's like, lady, you live in a famous house. I don't know what to tell you. You're going to get this. How yeah. many, how many fucking influencers have gone out there and thrown a pizza onto this poor lady's <laughs> That's roof what I was gonna say. for the sake of a single photo? Yeah. <laughs> she's, how many like, lights camera Jacksons have sung? The song, the Brady Brady Bunch song, out in front of the house. Yeah, there's that's gotta a very be niche reference. Sorry, there's gotta that's gotta be just as bad as getting your house egged, a fucking pizza on the roof, face right. down, no less. Fuck that. <laughs> so or just listening to dumb people laugh outside your house <laughs> who are doing it, or just like maybe that's what she's sick of, or just like you <laughs> idiots, like enough that this show went off the air five years ago. <laughs> Oh, that's where Walter White lives. Shut the fuck <laughs> up and up. go home. <laughs> For God's sakes. Um, one thing I'd like to address in relation to the stand is Randall Flagg, who is the big mm. bad of this story. And he's also, um, you know, intrinsic to the uh, the Dark Tower series, which is also which is, in my opinion, King's real magnum opus, not the stand. But you got to read mm. through seven books to uh, realize that. Uh, right. First of all, have you read th- any of the Dark Tower stuff, Karen? No, because I assume that was going into the kind of fantasy realm. And I felt that I was not allowed. Like I <laughs> felt unwelcome on site, kind of. I think I started the beginning of uh, whatever the first the Dark Gunslinger. Tower. Yes. And then I kind of was like, I think this might not be for me. Yeah. Well, the first one's just, a, you know, predominantly a, a Western, you know. But hmm. as the series goes on, it goes through virtually every genre, which is one of the selling points to me about it. You know, you're going to get sci-fi in there. You're going to get post-apocalyptic shit. There's, you know, there's horror. There's there's funny moments. There's lots of action. There's Western shit. One of the books is mostly a fucking romance. You know, oh, it's. Wait a second. Yeah, it's it's bananas. And okay. um. You know, it, some of the books are better than others. Obviously, that's when, what's going to happen when you write seven giant ass books. But um, as a whole, it is an incredible piece. It's think of it like Stephen King uh, doing his own version of Lord of the Rings, and he's uh, shooting it through the prism of all these different genres that he loves. So you get Ooh. a new flavor like pretty often while reading that. I love that idea because I really did love, and I'm going to say the wrong word for what it is, but because I want to say like compilation, but the basically the short story um, books. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's like anthologies. Anthology. Thank you. That where you kind of like, it was a like best case version where he's like, I have this really good idea. It's going to have an amazing beginning. Then don't really worry about where it's supposed to go. Cause we're just <laughs> going to move on to the next story. And it's like, mm. yes, this right. is, this is, it's like, 
the, you know, most delicious, it's like donut holes of Stephen King. Um, and that my Stephen favorite King's of, donut holes. That's such a perfect <laughs> way to describe the short right? story collection. Just delicious and perfectly sized. And of those, the long walk Ooh. Uh, is probably one of my, I, I, like now I should have thought about this more before we got on this record, but um, <laughs> that one just hit me yeah. of like, oh, yeah. oh, I thought about that for probably three years after I read it. Um, it was so fucking real that it upset me. Like this happened somewhere and it felt mm-hmm. like it was just, he was recording it. Like it was just such a, and it was such a good ending of not an ending of just like, it, it, mm. it just, to me, that was like one of those perfect, like, how did you think of this? How did you put this on paper and make basically a bunch of people walking fascinating? Right. I and mean, that motherfucker wrote that while he was in college, by the way, if you want to. That's yeah. true. Man. Yep. He wrote that. And I think he was like freshman year of college. So that dude was basically just out of high school when he, when he wrote that. And yeah, I, I think it's a masterpiece. I love that. Imagine being able to do shit like that when you're that age. <laughs> I couldn't fucking right. get to class on time. And this Truly. dude is like knocking out masterpieces left and right. It's disgusting. It's That's, gross. It, yeah. I, I I don't. He's gotten away with it for too long. And <laughs> we need to have a conversation and, with him about and it. And he's good at Twitter. That's the thing that like yeah. I, those people I'm so absolutely resigned to the fact that like the boomer, the boomers and the older can't do a lot of this shit and don't get it. And kind of, it's always like a little off or whatever. Every time somebody retweets Stephen King, I'm like, damn it. You've done it again. <laughs> um, so back to, back to the original question. You haven't read oh. the dark. Ta- no, it's fine. Uh, we, we're all here to share <laughs> the blame. I told you we're not all... to call me onto the carpet. Yeah. About things <laughs> I haven't done. How dare. Well, I'm just curious what you think of Randall flag as a character. You know, oh, I, you'd have I, more to go on if you had read the Dark Tower series, but you haven't. So we're going to do this anyway and just use the stand. Damn you. Um, <laughs> no, do you find I him more he's... interesting than Mother Abigail? Do you find him yes. scary? Well, I feel like Mother Abigail is that kind of thing where it's like you say a 102 year old black woman and everyone knows what you're talking about. And you the character development doesn't really she basically lives and dies. It's yeah, not so. like you, there's much more to know. Um, she's basically kind of like a symbol mm-hmm. and that's about it. And, and there's some stuff happening in the corn and that's yeah. really like you're, it's, it's up to you. Corn. Yeah. Randall flag is doing all this shit and he's out there in his jean jacket. And <laughs> like every, every time he shows up, you're just like, yeah, it, it's much more compelling really and i actually have to say in the newest version the sars guard that played him mm-hmm. i thought did an amazing job because it was not i'm being evil it was truly how i believe those guys really are like the true sociopaths psychopaths right. of the world where you're more like more of a Ooh. jim jones type then yeah, yeah kind yeah, of a magnetic. lot of manson in him too yeah yeah magnetic and kind of kindly but not really, you know, right. like there was that one part where his eyes changed where I was like, yes, this is fucking a plus. Um, don't you feel though in general, like, and here we're talking, you know, fictional stories. This does not apply to real life where it's much more horrifying, but like, yeah. don't you find in fiction villains to be more compelling than 
any like paragon of virtue that you might throw onto the page. Entirely. Like is good, is evil more inherently interesting than good is my question. To me. Yes. Always. I agree. Always has been. And also it's like kind of like Franny and Harold Lauder where it's just like he become like you. Franny doesn't shall she does is have a baby eventually spoiler alert um but, she, but like, she lives and she continues to live essentially but like what harold goes through and how his mind works it's so compelling because i was like yes i get that i get that idea of wanting revenge i get that idea of you should have loved me when I loved you. So now right. let's see what happens. And suddenly having like a taste of power or a taste of um, the upper hand and how that changes you as a person, as changes what if you feel completely disempowered and then going to like, ooh, look at me with the power. Now right. I'm going to use it incorrectly. <laughs> like all of that is so relatable. And so um by the time you see you see him go that way, you're like, of course, like almost like you get to do that mm. because what what else are you gonna do? Like, right. of course you're gonna be this guy. This is this is how these guys are made. Yeah. Like it's heartbreak and kind of like being ignored and being whatever, being invisible, right. all that shit that like so many people relate to. So you hook in better because it's like, I don't, I don't relate to Franny. She's like pretty and everyone likes her and, you know, and then she's like, oh, I had to bury my own dad. And it's like, all right, fucking go, whatever, yeah. <laughs> you know, go get your boyfriend and make your journey to the promised land. We know what you're doing, <laughs> but you know, it's like Harold is like, he goes on a fucking vicious, like revenge weight loss journey where, and then, <laughs> and then to like, I mean, all of that stuff is just so raw human, you know, good stuff. That's like, yeah, I think it's easier to put that into the super flawed and hurt. Well, and, that's the authenticity right. of it, right? Because that's everybody's flawed in, in their own way. You know, none of us are Frannies. All of us have more Harold in us than we'd want to want to admit. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's it's Mark Zuckerberg, you know, it's like it's the, <laughs> you know, it's doing doing evil. He gets all the power in the in the world and he does all he, you know, what's he do with it? He steals our data and, and uh, sells it to the highest bidder and then creates a VR platform that nobody wants to use. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> And he yeah. puts on a bunch of SPF, like so much that you're like, what? He looks like powder. You're, yeah. You're, yeah. You're only out there for like an hour, Mark. Don't act like you're out there all day. <laughs> also, just on a on this topic and on a practical level, I think I would be too rowdy to live at Mother Abigail's farm or whatever. <laughs> you know, like, I don't yeah. think I'm going to get like, I think that would be that would be gentle and bucolic. And, you know, that would be great for about a week. And then I'd be like. So do y'all party around here or is this yeah. just like, you know, picnics <laughs> or, all the time and chores? We're just out doing there. corpse stuff and yeah. then meeting at night. <laughs> yeah. Right. And and what's going on over there? They live in Vegas, did you say? Yeah. Holy shit. So they're just drinking and gambling, drinking and, drinking and gambling and fucking. Okay. I see. Um, I'm going to go run an errand and I will be right back. Like that's, that's probably what would end up happening with me. Let me hop on my motorcycle that I taught myself how to ride. Scoot down to Vegas real quick. Avoid tunnels. <laughs> Avoid crows. Do you think some so? fires, you know, it's going to be a fun time. It would, I mean, it would be so hedonistic that at a certain point, 
you would long for the other one. But I guess that's what happens when you're dealing with extremes. And also there would be the, you know, the troubling moral ambiguity of, you know, working for the devil incarnate. Yeah. I, and I crucifying imagine, people. Yeah. You know, that might raise a few eyebrows on my it, Which is very, very much like being in Vegas where you're like, I thought <laughs> I wanted to come here. And now that I'm here and I'm looking at the people that are here and what they're doing, I want to rid myself of this entire experience yeah. immediately. I thought and, I wanted a two foot long margarita, but I really don't. No, because yeah. now I'm also the girl barfing in the Bellagio fountain. <laughs> like I did, you know, who am I? Vegas has softened its edges a bit. Like when I was, my family uh, went out there when I was, I couldn't have been more than like 14 years old or something, maybe 13. And they were like, yeah, bring a friend with you. And like, we'll just go see some shows and, you know, look at the casinos and whatever. It was that sort of thing. And, uh, my buddy and I, and again, this is like prime puberty time. Uh, and so at that, at that point in time, Vegas had little, like, you know, like newspaper boxes or like, you know, how they oh, had yeah. like real estate brochures and stuff, but for escorts that were all mm -hmm. like, all of these things were fully nude. And we, we've discovered this. It was like fucking jackpot here. There's just <laughs> porn all over the place out here. Like it was incredible. I had like flyers for escorts, like hidden in my room as a, 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 a fucking middle schooler for years. And my parents never discovered you had a collection of the of titty cards that were handed out on the strip. Yeah, No, they were. The, uh, dude, I'm telling you, these were like pamphlets and like, you know, little shitty magazines that had been put together. But, you know, that's certainly what they were. And now when you go out there, it's 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 been disnified a little bit. It's still. It's inherently gross to be it's, in Vegas, I find. It's definitely Pleasure Island from Pinocchio, Vegas, and that's kind of the, yeah. the draw. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, and that's why it's kind of genius for King to set Randall Flagg there, because it it is attractive. It is seductive. Mm -hmm. You know, the idea of going going out to Vegas, that's the perfect place in the United States. Where else is is Randall Flagg going to set up shop, right? He's not going to Orlando, Port Portland, D Dollywood. Oregon, you know, <laughs> Dollywood. Have you ever Dolly been to Dollywood? I've never been. Oh, no, I, I really want to so go. Bad. Oh, all right, live Kingcast event. We 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 can do a, a a double Kingcast. We'll open for my favorite murder in Dollywood. Yes, love it. Jesus, did like you know weekend. that Dollywood has holograms of Dolly Parton just around the park, scattered no. around? I want to. Oh my god, I want to take shrooms and go to Dolly World so fucking bad. Can you imagine just being accosted by a hologram, like hologram Dolly Parton, like? Buying just buying a soda from like you know some little kiosk. Oh, would be amazing! Hey y'all! Every time you turn around, <laughs> what and you you're doing? Just, what you doing? But it's just her skull with hair because you're on mushrooms. So you're just <laughs> yeah. like, no, I'm scared of this lemonade. Those like, eyes sure look dilated. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're flying on mushrooms, aren't you? I'm not. This is not a good accent at all. It's okay. The people are getting it. Yeah, our, our our impressions don't need to be razor sharp. They get the general concept. Yeah. We said yeah. Dolly. If they know about the folksiness. They know about the southern accent. We're good. <laughs> yeah. No. Th this is a show in which uh, we had Patton Oswalt on, and and uh, Scott and Patton did a bad British uh, accent, <laughs> like back and forth for what three minutes. Patton uh, fucking buried me. Like he he his was actually his pretty good. Mine life. was just a disaster. <laughs> like, <laughs> He yeah, but, actually, Patton and I, because, you know, we came up in San Francisco doing stand up together mm. and um, that that's how we bonded is not just over Stephen King and serial killers in general, but 
the stand specifically is one of the first conversations we had where we started talking about it. And it was this nerd freak out of like, I had already, I had always carried that kind of by myself because I Mm -hmm. was in the, like the theater department. So most of my friends were truly like just true theater nerds that wanted to go watch musicals every weekend. And I was just like, read this book. It's really scary. (laughs) Um, And so the first time I, like Patton and I actually hung out and we're talking about it. And we started talking about, like, I think that the first thing is he started singing, baby, can you dig your man? (laughs) Like it was just like immediate, like who can list the the most things about this book. Um, So we fully, we fully bonded on this book specifically. That's kind of funny. What book did he do when he was on? He did a short story actually. Yeah. Yeah, The jaunt. It's the one from uh, skeleton crew. And it's a one about the, the you know, time to, or, uh, teleportation has been invented. And so it's like a father telling his family about the invention of this technology as they're waiting their turn to get like gassed, put in these oh, little yes. chambers yeah. and then shot over to Mars. Um, yep. Yeah. 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 He did that one. We did a oh. We did an episode on that one again recently, but um, Patton was actually the first one to do it, which was incredible because we figured that would be a title that would probably come up a lot with people we asked to do the show, but mm-hmm. uh, not so much. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's interesting. And he got so excited about it too. And that that was one of the ones where we were kicking around titles. Like, well, what would you want to cover? He's like, well, I like this. I like this. I like this. And, I, and then he's like, let me think about it. And, uh, and Scott and I actually had a conversation going, you know, nobody's picked the jaunt yet oh, you know right. that would be great for for Patton. he's the one and we had Patton followed up our stephen king episode so when we got that's stephen true. king on that's the true, show yeah. we were like we yeah. need somebody and you know to follow king and i think that's what convinced him because he had been on the fence <laughs> for like eight months <laughs> before then and yeah I said, well, you guys- you're gonna be following stephen king he's like i'm in yes <laughs> son like, of a bitch i'm in truly <laughs> legit i mean the uh listen people who listen to our podcast freak the fuck out when we started talking about it and they're like, you have to be on this podcast and da da da. And then like, I think that happened either just before we had been talking about it or just mm. after I'm not right. sure, but it oh, was I didn't like, know that. That's interesting. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, People cool. there's, we have a lot of crossover audience and they were really excited. Well, I, I, I tried to make an elevator pitch because I ran into Georgia at a uh, the first like post COVID party, like post vaccines. Uh, oh, yeah. I went over to Kumail and Emily's mm-hmm. uh, place. I went to L.A. and Georgia was there and I was just like, well, I'm going to make the elevator pitch. I, w- I want to get the my favorite murder ladies on the show. And she was talking about like how she like had uh, uh, covers that she would like rip off and like put on her like soft paperback covers and put on like her wall and shit when she was oh. in in college yeah. or something so, we got to yeah. do a crossover episode and we could do um a perfect marriage Ooh. oh yeah you get you a little, that one? Oh, little that, serial that's a, that's killer a serial action killer in there one, you yeah. get you know uh a pretty good movie it's a actually. good marriage is what it's called. oh a good marriage excuse me not perfect marriage a good marriage yeah that's the that's the one that takes it's from the point of view of the wife of uh of what we find out to be a serial killer and king based the killer on btk i believe oh shit okay and, i don't think i've read this one yeah so th- it's it's a not a super well-known one but it's all from her point of view as she's slowly piecing it together that you know this kind of background information she's hearing about this like un- you know serial killer that nobody's caught uh you know might be her husband and like what that means whenever she confronts him with it and and all Ooh. that it's a really good 
Yeah, Joan oh. Allen's in it, the adaptation. And uh, Anthony LaPaglia. Yeah. Oh. LaPogs. The Pogs, so as we call was it. that LaPogs? Was that a 90s, early 2000s movie? I think it was um, late 2000s. It was kind of post LaPogs' uh, I want to say it was like <laughs> Rise to Fame. Like LaPogs is the worst nickname. <laughs> yeah, 2014. <laughs> Oh, really? Yeah, it's not even fucking 10 years old yet. The movie's wow. not great, but the story's really, yeah. really, really Okay, fun. I want to read that story. That sounds and, really good. Yeah, like it's one of the few things that uh, King is actually based on real life uh, yeah. crime, real true crime stuff. So he usually shies away from that kind of stuff. Like he, I think he described it as feeling like he's slowing down to look at a car accident if he gets too involved yeah. with true crime stuff. But uh, agree. But it's. Uh, you know, I don't know. It's fascinating. You should absolutely read it. Yeah, um, I'm going to. That's is there favorite. any uh, any other stand stuff we want to hit before we wrap this up? No, but I did want to mention. I mean, yes. like, yes, I could. T- I could truly <laughs> talk about this stand all day. I wanted to when I went on to buy my copy when I had such good intentions of reading a. <laughs> um, hold on, really quick. A twelve hundred page book. I thought uh-huh. I was going to read that in two weeks, which is. The most inane. You're looking at it this morning like, if I can just do 400 pages a minute, I can get this whole thing. <laughs> I literally brought it in here to record with me, like, just in case, you know, in case you they to refer to something. Me. Oh, they're yeah. going to cite the passages of, uh, of the stand. Oh, of course. Yeah, that page is on, that's on page 871. Just let me look it up real quick. I truly, like, it really did scare me where I was like, what if you just wandered into a hardcore fanship situation that you cannot handle. And my tendency is to be like, to kind of be like, yeah, that's great. Or whatever. (laughs) Where it's like, no, 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 you're not allowed to do that. Like in this, in that, you know, the very specific area where it's like, you know, in me, I understand why Stephen King means so much to the people who can quote straight out of the book and do know it page by page. And I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to disrespect them, their love or anything. Uh, But at the same time, I also don't want to read this fucking book again. Because I have read it twice. Glad you didn't chicken out and and go, go, oh, I can't handle it. Because we have had people that have been interested in coming on the show that have backed out for like exactly that reason that they say, Oh, I don't, I'm not enough of an expert to talk about. It's just like, like literally we had Elijah Wood on the show and he's never, he never read a Stephen King. Fucking Elijah. You know, he just liked misery. And so he wanted to come on and talk about misery, the the adaptation. And that's totally cool. You know, this isn't a, it is an academic show. This is just about kind of, you know, friends sitting around and bullshitting about, uh, right. You know, stuff that they're passionate about. So Good. whether it's a movie or book or combination of those elements, that's all that really matters. But seriously, well, then- why did you pick the, st- the biggest <laughs> fucking one? Like you had a great story about Firestarter earlier. You could have picked, I, I would have been upset about that one. Cause we, I don't, I don't ever want to talk about Firestarter again, but, um, you know, <laughs> That would have, wouldn't have that been the much easier choice for you? It, it would have, but my heart is with this book. I Very. mean, like, because it was a trend, it was a truly transformative experience to read it. And tr- I felt like I went into the wardrobe of Narnia, except for real bad, <laughs> like the, you know, the end of the world um, version. And I was in this story. And it was right. like, I lived in this story until I got myself out when I finished reading the book and that experience, I don't think I've really had since, um, in that same way. So it's kind of like, you know, dance with the one that brought you idea. (laughs) 
Sure. Although I do have to give it an honorable mention to the running man. Mm. Um, that's oh, yeah. a story, right? That's yep. that was, um, yeah. It's a uh, Richard Bach no, novella length almost. Yeah, yeah. Just like the long walk. It, it's not really a short story, but it's not a long book. They, they were released as like pulp, like paperbacks and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That it, I'll just never forget when I was reading that. And there was a scene where a woman who gets a pack of joints out of a dispenser, uh-huh. then she gets stuck in traffic and she's like, oh, and she has to smoke a joint and there it's everything's legal. And I remember being like, oh, this is the future I want to live in. <laughs> Meanwhile, they're hunting people like that the government has chosen and every other citizen is trying to kill. Like that idea is not what stuck with me. I was like... Wow, imagine getting joints out of a machine. Right. That would be amazing. You're like, it, it sucks that they're hunting people and stuff, but I mean, my convenience at the end of the day is something <laughs> that that's a big consideration for me. And when the, I read it, it was like when when we tried to buy pot, it we had to like call three different friends. Yep. You had to go hang out at someone's house for three hours. It was the lack of Ugh. the opposite of convenience. The it, worst. And it was illegal. So I was co- convinced I was gonna get arrested the entire time. <laughs> It's the like, running oh. man, the future liberals want. Yeah. Well, we got the legal weed, not in Texas. We got yet, it. But um, you know, y'all y'all are doing great with it out there. Uh yeah. I think sooner or later Texas Republicans will wake up to the fact that they are just uh burning a bunch of money they could be bringing in, like yes. with taxes and shit. Um and you know, I kind of figured that they would down. have done that by now because they're such uh uh craven assholes and motivated by money. <laughs> That, yes. you know, uh, that would have occurred to them by now. But apparently the Bible is still trumping them down here. Is that where you are? Yeah. You're in Austin? Yeah, we're, Austin, yeah, we're both yeah. in Austin. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. For now. That is cool. I'm, I think I'm leaving Texas soon, but um, I, I've lived here most of my life. That's very cool. Yeah. yeah and, I do uh, want a little okay. bit of credit because I, I you, in you mentioning people like, um punking out on the show because they didn't read their book or they didn't finish. Yeah. Not only did I not read my book, but this morning I uh, went swimming. And when I walked back into my house from swimming, I slipped on the floor and I can't really explain how this happened because I still don't understand it myself. But the way I slipped, one leg went out. I was kind of like a, it looked like a, a cheerleader's herky in the air, but I was on the ground where one <laughs> leg went out straight one direction and the other, my left leg bent under me Ooh. and I, I basically kicked my big toenail off. No. <laughs> yes. And no. so about a minute after when I like sat down, I was like, what the fuck did I just do? Like, how did that happen? And then I was like, should I cancel that podcast? It was the first thing I thought of, of like, and then I was like, that's really lame. Cause it, it kind of didn't hurt. It was just this very, it hurt really bad for like 10 minutes and then it went away. So I was just like, nah, this would be, that'd be bad vibes if you. So your big toe is just raw dogging it out there. It, it, I have like a gauze wrapped around it right now. <laughs> right. And I actually had to call someone and go, hey, so this is, is this an emergency room situation? Or you think I should just go to the regular doctor or like, should I not go to the doctor? <laughs> oh, yeah. I wonder if it's painful for a nail to grow back like that. I think, well, I have to say when I looked down and was like, that fucking toenail just got ripped out. I was waiting for that big hit of horrifying pain. Right. And it just kind of never came. So either I am almost dead. There's something I'm like 
from the inside dying <laughs> or it's not as painful as like people would imagine. Hmm. Hmm. Well, you're going to need to fall in the exact same way uh, again and aim for the other toe on the other side and see if you can match those results. <laughs> yeah, you got to balance. You're, you're out of balance right now. That's right. We can't, you I, can't, out. I can't let my uh, the the nail technician see how gross for my my next pedicure is going to be a real nightmare for her. <laughs> go, in, go in there with like a quarter nail and be just like. <laughs> This is all I want done. Ignore the other toes. I just need I need stubby kind of cleaned up here a little bit. And I want a palm tree on there. I want some <laughs> hibiscus flowers, like asking for a bunch of special stuff on like a creepy toe. <laughs> a creepy toe. That's it's bedazzled this motherfucker. I need to turn I, some heads the next time I'm in sandals. I literally Eric, I was gonna oh wait, Scott or Eric, I can't remember which one I am DMing with to, That's to me. set That's all this up. Eric, but it, it, we're, we're both interchangeable, so it's totally fine. Oh, okay. Per perfect. Well, Eric, I was going to send you a picture of my bleeding toe <laughs> right. and to be like, this is real. Like, And then I was like, well, but that could be from any time. So you'd have to put it next to a newspaper. <laughs> like, I was literally like, what are you doing? Are you Just going to ransom your, your hurt foot? <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm glad that you felt guilty enough to still come on because this has been wonderful. Uh, but I just for future reference, if you uh, are bleeding, you you have a, an excuse to not show up for the king. Okay, yeah, I like that your concern with the toe pick was not that it it could be from any period or, or the, it was your concern was that it could be from any period and not that <laughs> maybe a person who's a complete stranger might not want to look at your bloody toe. <laughs> Also, that you could be taking it as a weird come on because like, there's some people who really like feet. So it'd be like, hey, about a wiki feet, like two days yeah. later. <laughs> hey, here's my gross foot. Uh, I don't know how you feel about that. Yeah, some people it's... pay good money for this. <laughs> Wikifeet.com backslash Karen Kilgariff. Zero stars. <laughs> Zero stars. We're not into your ripped off toenail. <laughs> Disgusting. Posting this stuff. <laughs> I'm not paying for this anymore. <laughs> okay, one more month, but that's it. I paid for 10 bloody toes, not one quarter. Good God. It truly is the grossest thing I've seen in a while. So, yeah. I think it all worked out perfectly, how I handled it. Well, congratulations on that. And we <laughs> admire so both your bravery and your courage in coming on here today, despite your recent <laughs> trauma. Um, this is usually the point in the show where we open up the floor for our guests to... Uh, tease whatever they're working on next or tell people where they can find them. And, you know, I, I imagine that a lot of people know where to find you through my favorite murder, but you know, go, go ahead. This is, this is your time to, to shine the moment you've this been is, waiting for um, <laughs> your broke ass toe. Let's see. Um, I, I don't do anything, but seems like podcasts lately. So if you are interested in, I've got a true crime podcast called my favorite murder. That's very chatty. And I've got a comedy podcast called Do You Need a Ride with Chris Fairbanks, um, where comedians talk about doing comedy. And then there's a whole bevy of other podcasts on the Exactly Right Network. If you're looking um, for new podcast content, other than that, you, you can find me. I'd like to plug that I'm probably going to be at the, uh, I think it's St. John's hospital emergency room. Mm -hmm. um, yes. Getting some stitches or getting a toenail 
pulled out, but then nothing put in its place. That's the thing I can't figure out is like, you can't be going out with a non-armored toe. That's just going to get you into trouble. You're only going to hurt yourself with that rambunctious behavior. (laughs) It's the grossest. You can't go to Vegas with, (laughs) without that full toenail set. I'm going to shove my foot into one of those clear, like high heel shoes that everybody (laughs) loves to wear in Vegas. You're going to get a phone call from Disney tomorrow. And they're like, we're remaking Cinderella and we need you to come in for screen tests. (laughs) I'm the stepsister that cut her foot off. (laughs) We just want to do a fitting for the glass slipper and really get the camera in there to get a look at those toes. Just a nightmare. Tarantino's <laughs> going to call you up, say, "Oh no, I got, I got my last, like, hey. my last directed film, and I want you to star in it." But <laughs> I need to see film. something first. I'm filming it at my house. It's never being released. <laughs> <laughs> well, Karen, thank you so much for being here today. This was an absolute blast and a pleasure to to uh, finally meet you. Uh, I hope yeah. we'll hear from you again on the show. Very serious about doing a little crossover app. That would be super fun. Um, and yeah, thank you for being here today. This was awesome. Thank you guys. It was super fun i appreciate that i didn't have to really do my homework and i could still you know i could still be here that's the name of the game here at the <laughs> that's the dream yeah <laughs> many thanks to karen kilgara for joining us on the show i am still over the moon that we got her on and uh you know maybe we'll get the other half of my favorite murder at some point i know georgia hardstark's a, a stephen king fan too so we need to complete our collection is what i'm saying uh, yeah, I'd be way into it. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, um, uh, Karen was, you know, obviously delightful. You just heard the episode. Um, I think we I think we strayed a bit from the path of the stand. <laughs> just a little bit. Uh, just a smidge. Um, <laughs> but, you know, entertaining is entertaining. And uh, I feel very confident we delivered in that regard. Right. Well, I mean, the whole point of the show is to to bullshit about Stephen King. And sometimes when you're. This is just how conversations happen in real life. You can be sitting down with your friends and having a talk about, say, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and then that'll just diverge in a different Spielberg talk. That's just kind of how these nerd conversations go. So as long as it's entertaining, like we, we just don't want to be in a spot where we're like, we're not talking about the subject and, and not, nobody's happy about where we are. Right. I agree. <laughs> yeah. All right. So we should talk a little bit about what's coming up in... Uh, uh, the next couple of KingCast episodes you can hear. Uh, we should start by saying next Wednesday in the main feed, the topic will be, you know, they got a hell of a band, uh, which mm-hmm. is a short story that was adapted for the Nightmares and Dreamscapes TV series, The which apparently, I think there's only eight of them, but it feels like we've covered about 14 episodes at this point. I Somehow know, we're right? discovering episodes that never existed. So, And none of them are any good. <laughs> Except for Battleground, and we covered that first yeah, out of the fucking game, so good. we're less. Battleground's good. And, we're left with, the and scraps. we haven't done. Um, what's the fucking thing called? Uh, Omni's uh, Omni's last case. Omni's last yes, case. Yes. yes, that's the one. That one I really like. That one's good too. Uh, yeah. I think we. Um, I, I I I have an idea for covering that one sometime soon. Mm. Um, that I'll tell you about off air. An, an upcoming guest, and who has a. Not Ryan Johnson for anyone who's listening, mm. uh, who has an upcoming mystery film mm. who we've been talking to. I thought it might be fun to pair that guest with right. that. Daniel Craig, it is. Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> All in. Sold on yeah. Daniel Craig talking Omni's last case. Yeah, but Omni's and Battleground, those are really the worthwhile ones. And then the other ones are various levels of okay to 
to terrible. But yeah, it's a it's a cool short story. It's a cool idea of of this kind of uh, place called Rock and Roll Heaven, where where uh, many famous rock uh, icons who died too early are there, but they're kind of demonic versions of themselves. So it's a really they fun short. Too story. nice. Yeah, they're yes. they're not nice. I get. Uh, you know, Buddy Holly, kind of a dickhead in this story, got to say. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Elvis, not not a fan of what Elvis is doing in this story either. A uh, little problematic, yep. but um, but it's a really fun story. The adaptation's not great, but we have a really interesting guest. If we're going to talk about a place called Rock and Roll Heaven, we thought we should get a rock star in to do it. And, uh, mm-hmm. and we, we found did. one. We got one. So Yeah, uh, this is the lead singer of a band that... Uh, probably reached the pinnacle of their fame in the late nineties. And, uh, this singer has become, uh, quite an outspoken, uh, social media user Mm. in recent years and even has their own advice column. Now, if you can't put it together based on those clues, I don't know what to tell you, but it was really weird to, uh, to talk to this gentleman after, you know, kind of living through my teenage years, hearing his songs over and over again on the radio. Mm -hmm. And we talk about that a little bit on the show. Um, but yeah, it's a fun one. Unfortunately, we weren't talking about a uh, a better adaptation, <laughs> right. but uh, we we did have some fun with it. And uh, it, uh, if I remember correctly, the the second half of that uh, episode really uh, really turns into a powerhouse. It's a it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I think we we start like kicking around who would be in our rock and roll heavens and like debating if like people who are bad people in in real life would end up being good since all the like right. good people turn evil. So it, we we get in a lot of hypotheticals in that one, but it's uh, it's a fun one, and it's a title we've never discussed on the the show. So new title, new yeah. guest, uh, and what are we doing on our Patreon? What what are the Patreon folks getting this Friday? We've had some requests uh, for us to uh, do a little just a conversation between Eric and I about the uh, Banger and Bangor trip that we've. Uh, organized in which as is uh, as of this recording uh, nearly sold out we're going to tell you how it came together what we're expecting from it we've got a, a small update on uh uh further tours that you'll be able to take with sk tours uh if you didn't manage to get one of those uh vip tickets or the tour only tickets uh but are, if you are still going to be hanging around for a few days after after the event which we imagine if you know probably a few people are so if you're coming to that event you definitely want to uh hear that episode right. and uh yeah we'll have that for you yeah, on Friday we'll we'll dig in a little bit on what to expect with the merch we'll dig in a little bit what to expect from the different different tours that that we're going on we're going to talk about uh maybe some travel tips on uh that we've discussed and have seen lots of discussion over in the patreon forums of like where where's the best airport to fly into and and when's the best time so we're going to cover all that shit it'll be fun to actually get to talk about this stuff more than we've been able to uh recently as as all the pieces just finally kind of fell into place in time for the tickets to go on sale so Right. So, right. Um, yeah, if you want in on that, head on over to patreon.com slash the king cast and you will find uh, a lovely treasure trove of bonus Stephen King nerdery. If you're new to it, we have dozens and dozens and dozens of bonus episodes uh, that cover commentaries, niche Stephen King stuff, full like regular kind of king cast episodes you know, shit that's just wild that can only exist on the Patreon, like ranking Stephen King's boners in his work. You know, we, we have all sorts of, of, uh, of quality 
king shit over there. And if you've only listened to the main feed king cast episode, you've only heard half the show. So this is correct. We highly recommend going, uh, going over there, signing up, joining that community, everybody over there rules. Everybody's nice and welcoming and we like your money. So give us your money. This is true. This is true. Scott's got to afford his new batch of Lumi Lab somehow. <laughs> That's, that is correct, because I, I I don't think more freebies are going to be forthcoming, um, despite our begging. But yes, come over there. Check us out. Come in for a month. See how you like it. You, If nothing else, you'll have, you know, like Eric pointed out, like well over 100 uh, episodes to, to choose from while you've got it. But uh, most people do stick around. So we're delivering over there. Very confident in that, too. For sure. All right. If we were recording any more episodes of the show, we would go insane. So <laughs> Yes. So head on over there uh, for that Banger and Bangor discussion this Friday. And then on the main feed next week, we will be diving into You Know They Got a Hell of a Band. See you then, folks. Bye. The KingCast is a Fangoria podcast production. The show is produced, hosted, and created by Eric Vespi, that's me, and Scott Wampler. Tira Ansley and Abby Goel are executive producers. Daniel Danger is our art director, and editing is done by yours truly.